Welcome to What CEOs Talk About. Do you wonder what CEOs talk about behind closed doors? How they bring their vision to reality? How do they overcome and succeed through adversity? We share that and so much more with each episode. Now, let's get started with the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Martin Hunter. I am the host of What CEOs Talk About, uh, where we translate vision into frontline operations. Today, we're going into wealth management, banking, investment, talking about dollars. Mark, thank you so very much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Martin. Happy to be here. Fabulous. Before we start, all right. So for all of those who are asking, go to the website, check out the tab that says tools, books, all of that. So you are going to go to that website, what CEOs talk about, click the tab, tools. You got the, the tab books as well. So you can see all the books, all the services, all of the tools that CEOs talk about and utilize and all of the previous guests, all of their books are on there. So as you listen to this episode, if something triggers your path, you can go to uh, Mark's website and he can point you into the direction. If you want to talk to him personally as well, we're going to have all of the LinkedIn content and all of his contact detail at the bottom of the show. Thank you very much. All right, Mark, what is the title of the show for today? Making money makes sense. Da, 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 da. Before we get to that, <laughs> thank you very much. Mark, can you give us full name, rank, serial number, who you are, what you do, and give the audience the context of from where you are today? Let's jump all the way back. So you're going to give your name, rank, serial number, what you do today, and then we're going to jump back, and then you're going to tell us your story, okay? Sounds great. Yeah. So my name is Mark Hanin. I am a wealth advisor with Scotia McLeod, and I've been doing so for about 18 and a half years. I fell into this role uh, a bit by fluke when I was in grade 10, age 16. We discovered a stock market uh, competition that our teacher decided to put on all of us. So taking me back to 16, this was the height of the tech bubble. Tech bubble meant everything was going bonanza all the time. This was before we saw the crash. Mm -hmm. I immediately became hooked on the stock market and how companies are valued, what happens day to day in the markets. And it was so fascinated of how this all worked. And my economics teacher at the end of this program told me there was a job where you get paid to help people manage their money. And at the age of 16, I was hooked. I decided that this was what I was going to do for the rest of my life and catered the future of my high school, university, and professional designations to ensure that I'd be able to build a best-in-class practice doing this. So what drives, because I need to know more about what came before the age of 16, what drives a 16-year-old kid to say, I want to be a wealth management advisor for the rest of my life? <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> so how were, how were you raised? Where do you come from? Kind of put us context of why the 16-year-old Mark goes, I want to manage money for a living. Yeah, sure. So I'm the child of immigrant parents, Egyptian by heritage. 
And uh, my parents came to Canada shortly before I was born. And when mm. they came, I, uh, I grew up watching my parents hustle and build themselves up into being, you know, an, uh, uh, people that barely got off the airplane to building themselves up successful businesses themselves. And, uh, and watching them grow allowed me to get inspired and allow me to say, it's a real gift to be Canadian. And when you're in Canada, you can truly do anything. And so it allowed me to open my mind to other possibilities. And so they taught me work ethic. They taught me the, that you need to hustle, that you don't, uh, that to be different, it takes work, it takes effort. They taught me that, and then I was able to channel that through this surprise passion that came at the age of 16, of this thing called the stock market. So what was the business that your parents ran? Were they two different businesses, or were they in business together? Separate, yeah. My dad was in the uh, pharmaceutical space and okay. uh, worked for a large Swiss pharmaceutical company, worked himself up the ranks and did well. My mom was in HR and uh, ran HR areas for various companies across Canada and did quite well uh, making a brand for herself of union busting and uh, working with everyone on both sides of the aisle. Oh, that's awesome. That's okay. So now pharmaceutical. And I, I think of pharmaceutical is very complex. So there's a lot of moving parts. So I can see where you can get that. And then the negotiation side of things. And again, I don't, I'm just putting context around who Mark is having, uh, uh, you know, two strong parents, one of them who is very relationship based, right. When you're talking about that and the other one from pharmaceuticals, there's a lot of complexity that's attached to that. Look at that. Bing, boom. You got yourself a wealth manager that comes from that relationship. <laughs> you figured it out pretty quickly, Martin. No, no mysteries with you. Mark, tell us about, the title of the show. Why did you pick that one? So I was thinking about what makes me different. And when I ask our clients, our longtime clients, why do you work with us? The, the invariable reply is that we simplify complicated strategies. And that's something that's become sort of a uh, uh, a differentiator for mm. me over the years that I'm not afraid to dig into a complicated strategy that may make sense for a particular family and then simplify it on one piece of paper or one conversation. And that's something that I enjoy being talking on the level of the client and not trying to talk a hundred miles above and just to make myself look smart. So what, uh, thank you for that. So what is in your opinion, not going so well to not point fingers, but what, what is not going so well in wealth management? What are some of the industry issues that you go, Oh shit, this is not, this is not good. Yeah. I, I've found over the years that my, you know, competitors that I've come across mm -hmm. that they've, they've hidden behind, um, the thick textbook, or they've hidden behind uh, prospectus. They've hidden behind the um, uh, our industry and not just sat at a kitchen table and had a real conversation with somebody. And when I say make money makes sense, I want to make money tangible. Mm -hmm. You know, I work in an intangible business that 
you can never touch and see what I do. But if you log in on, on your app, you'll see a number. Yeah. And that intangible tries to become more tangible. And making money make sense to me means that I'm trying to show our clients every day how while the stock market may go up and down and sideways and nobody genuinely knows mm. what's happening today, tomorrow, or the next day, my objective is to make it tangible in the sense that if you were at a cocktail party tomorrow and someone brings up money, stock market, a strategy of some sort, that you'll be able to say, this is why I do what I mm -hmm. do. And my advisors asked me great questions and set me up on a path that allows me to be uh, get my family to where we want to get to. So what is your definition of make sense? Because there's you can unpack that in, in seven different ways. So what is the Sure. What does the definition mean to you? So I think makes sense means that exactly that you could talk to a non-sophisticated financial person, mm -hmm. a neighbor, a friend, a family member, and you could explain to them why, what you're doing within your portfolio, within your business to help you get from point A to point B. So something that can be explained to anybody on the street and that they will understand what they're doing. What is the current level of um, the current level of education? When, if we talk about, let's talk about CEOs and people who are, I say starting to make money between the age of, you know, maybe 35 to 55, they've amassed some wealth. What, uh, What's the what's the common knowledge out there? What do people know now that was different maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Financial literacy is still, uh, in my opinion, Martin, low. Yes. Uh, and so when I, I speak every day with CEOs of different industries, mm -hmm. different ages, different paths of their business cycle and business progression. And I think as a general statement, I find financial literacy to be low. And it, I think it starts at school, that if you look at a high school or a university or college program, um, there isn't really a lot of financial literacy being directly taught to a student. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it is meant to come from home, uh, your parents teaching you financial literacy. And, um, you know, stemming back a generation, financial literacy has not really been a big focus mm -hmm. of conversation. And there's plenty of statistics that are out there to say that people are more apt to talk about their sex lives than their financial oh, freedom. <laughs> and, and so it, yeah, and uh, I, I like to encourage our clients to be confident, as I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, to talk about their financial strategy, what they're doing, why they're doing, and so on. So I think that's something, Martin, you know, how are people's financial literacy nowadays? I think it needs improvement, and I think I have an obligation to help with that. So that's something that I put a lot of effort in. So what should, what should people know? Where do you, so if you say, um, let's go beginner, intermediate, advanced, 
what should a C let's talk about CEOs because you talk to CEOs a lot and people with founders, owners, you know, what is the bare bones minimum, like on the entry level that people should know? What, what kind of, what should they know? And not necessarily specifically, but also I think what you do is put things into context. What I heard you say is really, okay, so what does your money look like at the end, right? So kind of give a holistic approach to what's the a beginner's level of knowledge when they should, or what should a beginner's level of knowledge should be, financial literacy? I think the beginner, Martin, is the focus on our, uh, the old adage of paying yourself mm. first. I think that's something that many, many, many entrepreneurs and CEOs forget to do. They pour every nickel, every ounce of blood, sweat, and tear into their business. And then they realize they can't buy a house because they've never shown any income mm -hmm. and can't qualify for a mortgage. And it's not that they don't make money. It's that they reinvest everything into their business. And so they don't have any type of access to capital. And so being able to pay yourself first is something that I like as a sort of a first step for an, a CEO, an entrepreneur, is to say, you know, life will grow past your business. Mm. And so we need to start setting that foundation 20 years prior to you exiting your business. And so um, while I think for many entrepreneurs and CEOs, your business will always be the investment that you understand the most better than another business or real estate or the stock market or whatever else you're talking about. I think you will always understand your business. However, please pay yourself first and take some chips off the table, little pieces every year, as it will allow you to, um, if anything, diversify your asset. That if you're wrong and your business shifts and you don't shift fast enough with it, that you've still got a bit of a nest egg resting behind you. That is, <laughs> that is so wise on so many different levels. First of all, it's funny because when we go into companies and I go, how much do you pay yourself? $55,000. I said, what's the fair market value of a president or CEO of your, of your standing? And they go, Oh, it's at least 175. Okay. So you're $120,000 short. If you want to remove yourself, you're successful. You want to disengage from your company. Either you still want to run it as a cash cow or you want to sell it. You're missing $122,000 worth of revenue to cover for the next guy, that guy or girl, sorry. The next CEO to come in. I'm like, what did you not get? And then the second thing that you said is it, 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 I shouldn't say it amuses me. It, I was responsible. I've, I've done it as well as you don't think of the exit until you think of the exit instead of thinking of the exit, you know, uh, Stephen Covey start with the end in mind is still extremely relevant you know, we have people that we talk to when we're scaling and people come up to us and say, hey, listen, I want to sell my business. Okay, great. You know, how long have you been thinking about this? Oh, well, I'm starting to think about it now. How old are you? 55? I'm like, holy shit. We got like a very short runway 
to get you out of there? How much money you got in the bank? Well, not that much. I like, okay, whatever you thought, we're going to have to roll you up. And I mean, that's one of the strategies that we help out is, you know, we roll up businesses so that they have a bigger exit, but still by yourself, very difficult to achieve. If you've not started with the end in mind, you know, when you started period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and Martin, I think, you know, phase one is pay yourself first. And then phase two is to teach clients to work on their businesses and not in oh, their yeah. businesses. So this isn't something that directly correlates to me helping you manage your money, but this really correlates to the overall strategic planning of how to maximize value uh, for you and your family when it comes time to roll up or sell is that you got to remove yourself from the business. If you're the most valuable person in your business, your business will never sell for the value or the multiple that you think it's worth. Mm -hmm. So you need to remove yourself. And so as you start to remove yourself and the clients that I've seen that have successfully removed themselves, their businesses then multiply in growth because the scale that you can take on when it's not all resting on these two shoulders is unbelievable. And it's really a number that you can never even fathom if you do it the right way. So, um, you know, you asked beginning, middle and end. So the beginning is pay yourself first. The middle is uh, you got to get you got to remove yourself from day to day operations. And then, you know, we could talk about the end as well. I'll leave that as a punchline for later. Yeah, Martin, if you like. It's funny because everything that you say about wealth management comes back to operating your business properly having an operational excellence mindset it amazes me how a lot of people think visionary or growth or revenue but it's all about at the center of it don't get me wrong i think revenue is important but profitability when you have profitability in my opinion you create prosperity meaning that you've tackled everything and you've got risk management involved you've got governance involved and so that means that you are making sure that every transaction, there's a bit of that transaction money that goes into your pocket, that goes into your company, that goes into savings, right? So you take that on. People who focus too hard, and same thing with the explosive growth companies, they tend to go, oh, we got sales, sales, sales. Okay, well, hold on a second. You need the money to be able to reinvest. And I think too many younger entrepreneurs are relying on other people's money. There's a funny LinkedIn uh, meme that says what I borrowed money. Now you want me to pay it back? Uh, you know, everybody's got that mindset of <laughs> which round are you in? You know what financing? Let's get some investors to do all of that. I'm like guys, people invest in companies that are profitable. You may have the next big, biggest idea because we get that all the time. My idea, Martin, is going to change the world. You and the 15 other people that I met you know, within the, within the previous week. So anyways. Oh yeah. I, I try to reframe that Martin, when you bring to me your idea, I say, this is your business, your livelihood. Let's remove you out of this and say, if I presented you a business that I thought you should invest in, would you buy into yeah. this? Genuinely be honest. And invariably, the reason the answer is no, because there's no profitability, there's no cash flow, there's no dividend, 
and there's no sustainable, there's no future, there's no past. It's all just a hope, a wish. And, and I think, you know, from a, what clients expect from us is to show them consistent, boring growth. They don't want to see that type of massive mm. up and down movement. They take risk in their business. So they come to us for boring, stable growth and to make sure that this thing continues and grows. So when that entrepreneur comes to me and says, you know, I got this thing, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a 10-bagger. Okay, okay, great. You know, when you, I'd rather you were a three-bagger possible year. And I guess I should define what three-bagger, 10-bagger. That bagger means multiple yeah. of growth. So 3,000 growth, 10,000% growth, you know, significant, very dramatic growth curves. Those don't interest me. Sustainable, profitable businesses are what interests me. I love me. when people come to me and they go. So what I like about your title, Make Money Make Sense, is that the people who think like that will take their money and invest it into people to help them or, or other people. And they say, you know. If I want to remove myself, if I want to disengage from my business, I have to leverage my money to be able to do something else. Either it's through investment or through scaling your business through somebody else. It, it, it amazes me when we have these first conversations. I go, hey, listen, we're making 15 million and by next year, you're going to make 30. You're going to, I was like, what? You're going to grow 100% $15 million? in one year show me show me the path show me because if you can do that i'm going to give you all of my money and i'm going to borrow as much money as i can to give it to you so that you can make me a gajillionaire <laughs> absolutely yeah oh and so what uh what's the what's the punchline what's the last one that you think is okay so beginner intermediate and then advanced yeah so the beginning is paying yeah. yourself first. The, the second is removing yourself from the day-to-day -day operation of the, your business as CEO. So you're CEO and title, but in reality, you've got really a COO that yeah. runs everything. And then, and then the end, I think, is the exit. And the exit is how does that exit look? Do you control mm -hmm. that exit? And that's something that, you know, a bit of a sobering comment here, Martin, but invariably we see on average one client a year pass away that has been out of their business for less than five years. And so when you think of that, that you mm -hmm. worked hard, I don't love the saying, but you, you generated fruits mm -hmm. to your labor and so on. And then you pass away before you could have enjoyed that. Managing your exit is something that I think is very important. And you mentioned it earlier that if at age 55 is the first time you think about your exit, you're about 20 mm -hmm. years too late. You need to think of your exit the first day of mm -hmm. your business. Where is your exit point? Whether it's a revenue, an age, uh, employee size, whatever it is. So being able to talk about uh, your exit when we start in your business as CEO, I think is the other distinguishing factor of me and my team as wealth advisors is it allows us to, we're not talking about a stock mm -hmm. and a bond. We're talking about how are we gonna liquidate 
your most valuable asset. And so if you could follow those three methods of paying yourself first once you're getting started, and as you're in the building and growing phase, remove yourself as CEO or mm-hmm. CEO and title, I suppose. And then in, in point three, really emphasizing how that exit will look, when it will happen. And the more you plan it, and there's a wonderful saying, and I can't remember who said it right now to give them proper credit, but that if you fail to prepare, you prepare mm-hmm. to fail. And so the more we, as I, as one of your trusted advisors, can help you do that, the better service I'll do to you and to your family and potentially for generations to come. It's, um, it, people are afraid of the exit, I believe, because they don't know it enough, right? And that's the one thing that we do is we demystify the exit. And there's nothing wrong. So what, what Mark is saying is that removing yourself doesn't mean completely removing if you don't want to. You can disengage. You can still have a company and start something else. It doesn't mean that the exit is something that you have. You still can participate, own a company, and then put the processes and the check marks in place to be able to generate revenue from that. It's no different than an investment. You... I'm assuming that if you play in the stock market and you enjoy doing it or you want to learn it, you go in there daily and you watch your stocks and you learn and you do the same thing. Well, what's wrong in doing applying the same methodology to your company or companies? It doesn't, you know, people are afraid. Oh, I don't want to sell it. I'm making a lot of money. Then don't freaking sell it. Like, (laughs) but disengage from it so that you have a prosperous mindset and that you have money to do what you want to it. Either you reinvest it back into your business or you give it to Mark and his team to, to create some multiples against it. Diversifying your portfolio, I think, is, is another aspect. I mean, if you're putting all your money back into your business, you know, there's a lot more risk attached to that. But I think that wealth management, like what's your, I have a definition, but what's your definition of wealth? What does that mean to you? When I say the word wealth, what do you think? I get asked that a lot, Martin. And, and, and so I think what's your definition of wealth is when you can do what you want, when you want, and not on anybody else's oh. schedule. And so I think that's the ultimate definition of wealth. If I see a new pretty car drive by and I want that car, I'm going to go get that car. But if I'm happy driving my 15-year-old Honda Accord, I don't care. Like, I don't have to have that material good to identify myself. So wealth is to be liquid enough and have enough to do what you want. Uh, Not that you're necessarily going to do it, but that you can Mm -hmm. if you want to. Mm -hmm. For me, the yours is so much better. (laughs) Your definition is so much better than mine. For me, wealthy is, you know, people say, oh, you're, you know, you're rich or something. I say wealthy is just making more than you're spending so that you have that disposable income to do what you want with it. Mark, what is it? So what is it that a good wealth manager should be doing for somebody that we're talking about? What's the what's the, the the right behaviors of what you're doing and you consider like 
top of the food chain wealth management. If you say, hey, you're a pro because you do this, what would that, what would those behaviors be? I think turning the agenda that the client's business, and most of our clients are entrepreneurs and professionals, understanding Mm -hmm. their business very intimately. And so the question there is that I'm not meeting you today, Mr. and Mrs. Client, to talk about stock A and B. I'm here to understand your business. And with the collaboration and working with families that run businesses for 18 years, it's uniquely qualified me to understand your business and to help you get your business to where you need to get it to. Uh, So we can talk about the exit and then eventually how does stock A, B, and C produce the cash flow and growth that you will require post-business sale. So being able to talk about their business rather than having you in to talk about Mm -hmm. the stock market, the economy, and me, I find that all to be really secondary and even tertiary, really if we can understand the family dynamic and then understand your business dynamic, that really sets us up for a long, fruitful relationship together. It, it, I love how you're not selling it, right? So we were, um, so Tracy and I, uh, we took advantage, sold the house, put some money aside, and then... Um, Tracy and I agreed that given uh, her position of financial literacy to get to know how to use money, how to make money work for you, how to make money make sense. And it is amazing to me. And I said, Hey, listen, contact three or four wealth management organization that you feel that you want to talk to. And it amazes me how everybody was pitching her well, you should do this. You should do that. You should do this. You should do that. And there's only two, one more than the other, who said, hey, listen, before we start talking, I want you to answer a whole bunch of questions. What's your risk tolerance? What do you do? What do you want to do? How do you enjoy spending your time? So I said, well, how do you feel? And she's like, well, I'd rather do this because I, I know nothing about what they're talking about. And I think that that's something that I agree with you. So tell me, why why is that important? Because, you know, I'm assuming when when people started listening to this episode, they saw wealth management. Well, we're going to talk about stocks. We're going to talk about, you know, the recessions or the potential recessions or no recessions. Why the hell is Mark talking about how I manage my business when I wanted to listen to two guys talking about the stock market? Well, we could do a whole other chat about the stock market if you really want, Martin. But I think the value that we add to our clients, <laughs> the value that you we add is talking about that qualitative, that intangible, and the bigger asset. Like your biggest asset is for most CEOs, their business. It's not their house. It's not yes. their building. It's not, you know, whatever other asset you want to talk about. So if I I can sit here and listen and become what I want to be is your board of advisor. And 
other professionals, I hope, or friends, colleagues could be on your board of advisors as well. If we could all collaborate together and to help you make this business something of value and adding value to our community, to your family, in a way that you've never dreamed, that's, I think, what we're here to talk about. Not about, are we in a recession? You know, spoiler alert, we are, but that's not what we're talking about here right now. So, <laughs> and, and so it's really that differentiating factor, Martin. I think that's, uh, if we can help grow your business, that's going to make you a client for life because we get you, we understand mm -hmm. you, we're on the same side of the table as you. Think qualitative versus quantitative. Anybody can talk to you about what the S&P 500 did today. You don't even need to be educated to mm -hmm. talk about what the S&P 500 did today. However, what's different, though, is if you could understand why the S&P 500 did what it did today. And so when I relate that to our client, if, um, you know, my name's Martin and I have $20 million, that's great. I don't care. What I care about is how you came mm. to that wealth, how you built that wealth, what you want to do with that wealth, make that wealth tangible. And that's where we get back to the making money make sense pieces, because it's not just your bank account balance that generate that defines what is wealth. Mm -hmm. It's what impact can you have on you, your family, your society, causes, philanthropic causes important to you. You know, it's all it's it's the whole pile. It's the whole kid and caboodle, so to say. It's uh I've been struggling with that. So I've, I've disengaged myself from my business. Lucky enough. Well, I shouldn't say lucky. We'll work hard towards it. And I've been able to disengage from Urgio to a certain, I still like to get involved. I like the big relationships. I like to talk to people. I mean, the company can run without me without a doubt. Um, I'm choosing to stay there. What it is difficult and, and it takes time is to, I, I've, I'm 51 years old. I've lived and work on six different continents, not seven, because Antarctica is not interesting to me right now or ever. <laughs> I hear it's beautiful in I've August. I've seen penguins in New Zealand. I, <laughs> yeah, minus, uh, you know, a, a gajillion. So um, I've got... I've got a lovely life partner. My wife is fabulous. My kids are all healthy and good. I've got a beautiful home. My motorcycle is kick-ass. My wife has got the car. So, you know, at a certain point, you have to figure out what you want. And my wants are all attached to somebody else. And that's even more difficult. So if you start in a place of complexity, it is difficult if you start earlier, like Mark is saying, well, okay, what's the, what's the age? What are, you know, I, I like Tim Ferriss's goals of to be, to do, mm. to have, right. It, it's not all about the uh, uh, physical, but I think Mark's making it sense and touchable. I want enough time to be able to speak Spanish. I want to be able to do this. I want a new motorcycle because I just want it, right? And if if the, the physical tangibilities have been achieved in life, then where else can you be to be or to, to not to, to be, to do, and to have? Maybe it's more time for me. It's all about rugby now. My kids love rugby. And I'm injured. I'm going through surgery soon. 
I'm not as fit as I used to be. So if I can liberate my time so that money comes in to keep on paying and being able to pay the bills so I can spend more time at the gym to be able to spend more time that it takes time to connect those dots. Right. Mm. Um, That's probably my most gifted book is Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. And, and I gift that book Martin to entrepreneurs that are, through the pay it forward piece they're kind of getting through that Mm -hmm. and they're not near the exit piece but they're more in the where do i go from here piece and and so it's so interesting to hear you bring up tim ferris as i have been following along with his progress and enjoy his podcast as well as yours to glean ideas that that i think we can all learn And one of the comments that he made in a podcast years ago that really related to me is he asked a guest who I can't remember right now, but said, who are the top five people that have most influenced you? And what I found interesting about the answer was none of them were people that he had ever met, that he had either read their books of or podcasts or followed along with their progress, be it through a blog or whatever else. And I find Mm -hmm. that to be, um, you know, a beautiful thing about our society that we live in, that I personally would call Tim Ferriss one of my top advisors. Have I ever met the guy? No. Will I ever meet him? Probably not. So, but but is he a giant influence in my life? And like I said, I regularly am gifting his book, saying you gotta read this. And when you could figure out the four hour work week, it answers everything. Everything you just talked about, you've pulled away from your operating business. That's great. But what's next? What are you doing with that time? And, and it just provokes exactly. great conversations that, again, have nothing to do with wealth management, but it means that we, uh, we're really going deep here in our relationship with our client. I find it, I'll disagree with you because what you do when you, the way that you've described wealth is that you have a desire to help that individual achieve that. Like you're not, the way that you initially said it sounded very transactional to me, but what you do is extremely transformational is by gifting this gift. I'm not saying, Hey, listen, give me my money. I'll put it in the start market. I'll do this for you. Say, no, 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 no. Hold on. I'm gifting you because I want you to transform who you are to be able to be wealthy so that you can trust me managing your wealth. Kind of, that's the pitch that I hear, right? That's the, the relationship. I shouldn't say pitch because it's not transactional, but that's the, that's the, the trust factor into it. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree 100% with your view. For me, out of Tim Ferriss, and I've said this a thousand times for people who've listened to more than one podcast, the acronym DEAL. Direction, elimination, automation for liberation, right? That I repeat, I repeat, I repeat. I say, what's the direction that you, and that's what I'm struggling at. What's my direction, right? You can't go to E, A, or L without without having clear direction. So what's the direction? Once you've got the direction, eliminate anything and everything that's not associated with that, with the purpose that you have, then automate the crap out of it. How can you automate anything and everything 
in a qualitative state, not a, not, not a quantity state, but a qualitative state. So you don't have to watch over it. You can track it, but you don't necessarily have to oversee it. And then once you've done that, you've achieved that level of liberation. And the word liberation, I think, is so much better. You are liberated. That means that you have a choice. You have a choice to do whatever you want in Mark's definition of wealth. You want to go buy that Maserati? Go ahead. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. The, you know, automation, I think, is where many CEOs get caught is uh, trusting people, systems enough to let go. And I think that's something that, that that's why many businesses get off the ground and become good but very, very few can go up to that great level. They, they, and, and so when you can remove yourself, I think that's where it's interesting. And Martin, I would share with you that, um, you know, a, a, a retreat for yourself sounds like it's in order. To take a giant whiteboard multiple times the size of the one behind you and to say, you know, I'm just going to throw every idea I can on here for the next three days. And I'm not talking to anybody else to have them influence my opinions. And then to basically get that giant whiteboard down onto a couple pieces of paper by the end of your time together with yourself. I think that's going to be a that will be very telling to, to see where your next move is. Thank you. I, I'm close. I'm I'm. I'm getting closer. You're right. Uh, a, a little bit more me time. We took vacation, but there was not a lot of me time. There's a lot of, and same thing, like I said, all of my goals are attached to other people. Traveling for my wife, who just absolutely loves discovering new cultures, new foods, and all that stuff. Okay. So she, she, she wants to do that. My kids want rugby. I want to make my wife happy and my kid happy. What's in it for me? And that's, again, in a selfish way, I find it very difficult because for me being useful is my, my go-to. I, I, if my contribution is to be mm-hmm. useful and when I'm not useful, that's when I feel I'm going to die. Uh, so I, I, I want to make sure that whatever I do, <laughs> I stay useful for a very long time. Um, the, the, the one I want to bring it back to deal the automation for wealth management. And I think a lot of people that's where you fit in. When we talk about your bigger scheme in life, what's the direction? Okay. Direction. I, I want to exit. Okay. What's not important. I don't need this. I don't need that. Okay, great. I've sold the company. Let's automate. Now I've got revenue. Now you've got an organization like Mark's who will autom- automate your income generation right and that's if if i want to put it in a process is there's the automation of managing your wealth that i think is a lot of people are afraid of letting go but in a well-suited automation regardless of you've got a business process you've got a car there's automations for everything i don't know why people are so attached to well i why should i trust you with my money, right? Mm-hmm. If you've built that relationship, then that's not even a question they ask. Yeah. And so when you go through that business sale, Martin, I, I, we, the sales completed um, and you got a big chunk of money in your bank account. And for most 
This is a once in a lifetime liquidity event. There are, of course, serial entrepreneurs, but I'll stick yeah. with the majority for a moment here. So I like to split yes. the money for clients into three buckets. Bucket one is this is the amount of money that's going to sustain my family and I for the rest of our lives. And we figure that out together. What does that bucket need to be? Mm -hmm. And we basically reverse engineer it from what do you spend in a month? And for some clients, we get as mm -hmm. granular as what's your phone bill? And other clients, they, we, just throw, <laughs> we just throw a number at it. It depends on the family. And so we figure out first bucket yeah. one. That's kind of like the Maslow hierarchy of needs of once you sell your business, mm -hmm. let's sustain your life for the rest of your life, number one. Number two, uh, mm -hmm. it, whether you have kids or you have charitable causes that you want to support while you're living. Um, and, you know, I use this, it's a bit tongue in cheek, but I think it's very prevalent that giving with a warm hand is better than a cold one. So whether you're giving to, you're Ooh, helping like your child buy a house or start a business or yeah. their education, or you're throwing a new wing on a hospital. Do that while you're living. So you could see it. You could see the benefit of any one of these things happening in bucket two happen. So we've taken care of bucket one. How much money do we have left? Let's talk about bucket two. What are we going to do while you're living to make your society and your mm. world around you better? And then bucket three, as you might be able to guess, is once you've passed, what's, what's mm. all going on in that bucket there? And so that bucket could be uh, effectively what happened in bucket two, but once you're dead, or it could be something totally different that is uh, something that would blow the socks off your family if they knew while you're living what you wanted to happen with the proceeds from that business sale once you've passed. So ticking off those three buckets is basically, in my view here, the uh, wealth management, hey, I sold my business, what are these three steps that we do once we sell our business model? All right. So you got a new client. Client's called Urgio <laughs> and Martin. Very good. <laughs> uh, it's, it's so true. I, I always tell people why, why do you wait to be philanthropic, right? So do what you can now, even if you've not sold your company, there's ways to be philanthropic to be able to service and use your business to do better good. The second key is that to your point is to say, okay, I, I tell people all the time, oh, well, I want to be philanthropic. I want to do this. You can't get there if you don't have money in the bank. You can't get there. You can't get money in the bank if your company is not profitable. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. So think about the first things first. And the first things first is operating a business with an operational mindset where everybody within the organization sees, delivers, and improves the value flow to your customer. I repeat that a thousand times a day, but that's, that's key. If you do that well with a qualitative mindset, the same way that Mark is doing it, you see, for those people who've been listening and I've heard me say that before, does Mark see, deliver, and look at improving the value flow to his customer? The answer is yes, because the value flow is not in a transaction, but helping them transform in a position where they get an amount of money that is beneficial for both of them. It's a collaborative process, not a cooperative process. Mm -hmm. They work together. 
they don't mark doesn't do his thing and then the owner does his thing and they meet in the middle and give me money and that's transactional that's that's cooperative mark works in a collaborative way to help people understand and therefore has residual or has his business and feeds his family and has his wealth built by being helpful and useful not in a selling kind of way so all to say that that relationship is critical and beneficial for both yeah sorry i was i, I was i was on roll there that, and and i think to make that granular you know i met with a client on friday where we he's a new client and we were trying to put together what do you need to save every year to pay yourself first mm -hmm. then to remove yourself right and and so i didn't say i need a hundred thousand dollars a year from you no what i said was we need to do a million dollars of revenue that net 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 we have that money mm -hmm. going into your court holding company and then once it's in the holding company, this, this is what we're going to do with it. So if you want to get to your exit point by this age, at this time of life for your kids and your family, then we need to do these things now. And so we spent the majority of that meeting not talking about what do I do once you've given me that money in your holding company. We spent mm -hmm. the majority of that meeting talking about how do we add another million dollars a year to your top line revenue and make sure that that filters down as profitably as possible? And, and that relationship building there, Martin, is something that I take that duty is so special to me that I get to come in to your business and be part of that. And that's what I love most about the job. And that is satisfying, Very. right? That, that feels yeah. like it. And that's, you know, people turn these questions around and say, when will you not do what you do? And this derives such satisfaction to me, aside from my kids, this being able to help clients every day derives such a level of satisfaction that I could sit there and, you know, effectively transform and help them get to where they need to get to. What else? Like there, this, this is where I want to be. I love it. It's very energizing every day. It, 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 I agree with you. And, and that's the same question that I've asked. Tracy says, you're going to die 30 minutes. You're going to stop working 30 minutes before you die. I said, Absolutely. Because I, you think about it, what you and I do is if we help companies and individuals create a pathway where they can be philanthropic both day in, day out, isn't that value added? Are we not being philanthropic through our gifts? of being able to do wealth management for you and operational excellence for me, is that not a gift to society? Is that not working towards betterment of the environment, betterment of the population, betterment of, of capitalism, if you want to call it. Sorry. I, well, we're on a, I mean, this, this feels good. I'll talk to, about this for hours and hours, right? <laughs> <laughs> me too. So, all right. So we've got, you answered all the questions before I could get them. Cause I always ask the guests, Hey, what's the one book that you rely on? And you said the four hour work week, Absolutely. that's what you give. So there's 
that's one of them. Let Which me, one do you like the most? Let, let me just add sorry, something, Martin, that I think is relevant. Connected with the four-hour work week is The Secret. It's a movie form, book form, written in a hundred different ways. But The Secret, which is the law of attraction, if you could figure out and really adopt the law of attraction into your life, and then be able to add in the four hour work week. I think the secret and the law of attraction is at the core. If you could master that in your being as an existence, and then you can figure out the four hour work week and how you wanna run your business and your life and so on. I think that can really then catapult you to get you where you wanna be. I certainly subscribe to that personally, and I certainly encourage our clients to do the same. I watch The Secret, the movie, uh, quarterly as a refresher to myself. And there's a variety of books that have been written on it that come at it from different angles. And, 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 and if you take the, the premise of the law of attraction, you could go back to Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, which is a little bit yeah. too money-centric for me, which sounds ironic coming from a guy in wealth management, mm-hmm. I realize. But, but, uh, but you know, if it, it, it's sort of the same theme. And, uh, but, but go sit with The Secret. Mm. Watch that. Tons of books you could find about it. And uh, that is your core. And then adding in four-hour work week, I think will set everybody up to do wonderful things. Now I've got, I got homework after this. This is crazy. I got more homework from Mark's podcast uh, than anybody else. Oh, this is way cool. Oh my goodness gracious. Well, Mark, thank you so very much for being on the show. It's just so delightful to have you here. We're just great conversation. Thank you so much, Martin. It was a lot of fun to be with you and enjoy doing this. Fabulous. Well, with that being said, my name is Martin Hunter. I'm the host of What CEOs Talk About where we translated today some really cold, hard kind of financial vision into really practical advice on how to make sure that your business and yourself become wealthy. So thanks again, Mark. I truly appreciate it. Thank you. Please like, subscribe, and click the notification bell so that you know when the episodes come out. Thank you very much, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in to What CEOs Talk About. Make sure to click subscribe to get notified about future episodes or check us out at www.whatceostalkabout.com.